Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 3. We're going to work our way all the way through this book uh, this year, and I hope that you'll be here for that. I'm excited about it. Isaiah is uh, that prophet who saw the virgin birth. He also saw the atoning death of Jesus Christ. He saw that Jesus was a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and a prince of peace. And he also saw that Jesus would rise from the dead. But he was also a prophet to the people of God. And when they sinned, he would call them out. Now, I don't know if you remember, many of you don't, but is anybody able to remember Popeye? <laughs> now, that was a cartoon. Now, I don't know about the pipe, but anyway. Is that a forearm or what? And he'd get into it. You know, he loved olive oil. And do you remember Wimpy? I'd gladly pay you Friday for a hamburger today. Or was it Tuesday? I can't remember. Tuesday. I would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yeah. yeah I'm tracking with you. Yeah. This is what I woke up. Put him back up there. I like him. Put him back up there. Leave him up there. Just leave it. It's fine. Just leave it. Not the whole sermon, but. This is what I woke up to every morning. Popeye. And he'd get into it with who? Bruto? Brutus. That's why I said it wasn't Bruto, it was Brutus. That's right. And they would fight over olive oil. You say, what does this have to do with anything? I'm getting to it, all right? And Popeye had a real patience about him. But when he finally broke, he would say, if you remember it, say it with me. I've had alls I can stands and I can't stands no more. All right. How many of you ever been done that? Been there, done that? I've had alls I can stand. I'm tired of this. Did you know that God gets that way sometimes? Did you know that God is so patient, is he not? But there comes to a point where he will say, that's enough. Either obey me or I'm going to discipline you. I've had all as I can stand. I'm not going to stand anymore. And that's what our text is talking about today. God is a patient God, is he not? I read in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. He's patient toward you. I have people ask me, why has God not, why has Jesus not come back so more people can get saved? God is patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, that right there tells you that 
God doesn't just say, well, you be saved, you be saved, you be saved, and the rest of you, you're not going to get saved. God wants all to come to repentance. There's no qualifier on that, by the way. Not even contextually. It's not just all of the elect. God wants everybody to be saved. Jesus died for everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. And anybody can repent of their sins if they will. But if you live in sin, if a nation lives in sin, even if it's Israel, even if it's Judah, even if it's Jerusalem, and they keep on and they won't repent, God says, that's enough. And he moves in and he disciplines. Let's see what happens when God says that's enough. Isaiah 3, we'll just walk through the text. I'll say three things about it. When God says enough, that's enough. First of all, he re removes good leadership from the country. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support the whole supply of bread that is the staff of bread and the whole supply of water new living translation is even more understandable the lord the lord of heaven's armies we've sung about that this morning will take away from jerusalem and judah everything they depend on every bit of bread every drop of water god says when He's had enough. The first thing he does is he starts messing with your supplies. He starts messing with your investments. He starts messing with your pantry. He starts messing with your bread and your water. When food and water are gone, people perish and he said the whole supply of bread the staff of bread they leaned on bread if you ever go to Israel they got the best bread in the world I mean it is something else and uh, they are famous for their wheat and for all of their bread and all those things but they were leaning on bread like a staff. And he said, I will break that staff. I will make you limp. I'm going to take away your crutch, if you will, the staff of bread. I'm going to break it, and I'm going to take away the water. He said, well, how will that happen? Enemy armies, at least two or three times in the history of Israel, surrounded them and cut off all their water supply, cut off all their food and their bread supply, and they were literally starving so severely that in twice at least that we know of, they literally turned into cannibals eating their babies. That's in the Bible, or I wouldn't have said it. I'm not trying to shock you, but that's in Scripture. Go read Leviticus, you'll find out about it. History reminds us that God promises to remove effective leadership 
whenever his people will not repent of sin. Look at verse 2, the mighty man. That is the commander of the troops. The warrior, private soldiers, well-equipped, well-trained. The judge, officers appointed by the king and by the government to administer justice. The prophet, the diviner, the elder, the heads of the families, the heads of all the local towns, the captain of 50, that's the smallest military unit in Israel's army, the honorable man, the counselor, those who advise the king, expert artisan, skillful enchanter, all of these I'm going to remove. Now they had effective leaders, but they were secular, not spiritual. And God says, I'm going to remove those people that are effective, but are not walking with me. He said, can you be effective as a leader and not walk with God? Yeah, in some ways. But it's a lot better to have an effective leader who loves the Lord. And God says, because you only care about the nation and not the one who rules that nation, me, I'm coming and I'm going to do some things that you're not going to like. I'm going to replace you with inferior Leaders, look at verse 4. I will make mere lads their princes. Capricious children will rule over them. The people will be oppressed, each one by another, each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder. Young people are not going to respect the authority of adults. Do we not live in a day like that? Oh, my. The youth will storm against the elder, the inferior against the honorable. And what he's saying there, put that back up just a minute. That's Hebrew parallelism. He's saying the same thing twice. He's saying these young people, these youths are inferior. They don't know what they're talking about. I love youth. I was a youth director. I thank God for them. Seldom right, but never in doubt. But anyway, I, I, I was with them, and I love them. But he said they're inferior in, just because they don't, they've not had experiences in life. How many of you believe that the experiences of life make you wiser? Does anybody believe that? Sure. And that's why in the Bible, young people are supposed to listen. Yes, we're to, we're to honor young people, but we don't. We don't take for granted that they're smarter than and wiser than the older people. There's a lot of wisdom the older you get. Time will come when no one will want the responsibility of even being a leader. Look at verse 6. When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak. <laughs> See how poor they're going to be? You, you have something to wear to warm yourself. You shall be our ruler. <laughs> Can you imagine? Why, why did you get elected? Well, I had a coat. <laughs> That's about what it takes nowadays to get elected. Amen. 
Yeah, I was dressed. <laughs> you should be our ruler. These ruins will be under your charge. He will protest on that day saying, I will not be your healer. For in my house there's neither bread nor cloak. You should not appoint me ruler of the people. Nobody's going to want to be a ruler because they don't want the responsibility. When God punishes his children, he removes good, effective leadership and replaces them with poor leadership. One time, Cambodia was one of the most beautiful, prosperous nations in the world. But while I was in college, exactly from 1975 to 1979, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge came in and established communism. I want to say that I am absolutely 100% anti-communism. Absolutely 100% anti-communism. And so is the Bible. And during his reign, two million people died of torture, murder, overwork, and starvation. And their goal was to socially engineer a classless communist society. You know who they threw in jail first? All the people with an education. If you had a college education, you went to jail. If you were an intellectual, you went to a jail. If you lived in a big city, more than likely, you went to jail. If you were ethnic Vietnamese, they hated the Vietnamese, you went to jail. If you were a civil servant and if you were any kind of religious leader, you went to jail and more than likely, you died. I've got another picture I'm not going to show you. But I went to Cambodia and I saw the stacks of bones from the killing fields. And I'm telling you, as big as this whole area, as tall as this roof, skulls and bones of two million plus people all over the country, especially in Phnom Penh, Bad leadership is sometimes punishment from God when a country just wants to live luxuriously without turning and repenting to the Lord. Don't tell me God doesn't still do that. All God has to do for a nation to implode is to put the wrong people the evil people in leadership. America itself could well be teetering near God's judgment. We have been so blessed by God. How can you see it any other way? And yet we are one of the most immoral countries 
in the world. America floats on a river of alcohol. I hear people say, well, I've got liberty to drink. You don't have liberty to get drunk. And the definition of drunk is given by our law. If you drink more than a glass of wine at one time or a beer at one time or a shot of whiskey at one time and you have a car wreck and kill somebody, you're going to jail because technically after one drink, if you get into two and three and four, you're drunk and you're going to jail. I don't care who your daddy is or who your mother is, you're going to jail. And rightfully so if you killed somebody because you murdered them. But we love our alcohol. Oh, I'm not enslaved to it. Then try fasting from it just for 21 days. Oh, I'm not a legalist. No. <laughs> you're a you're, you're not, not, you may not be a legalist, but you are addicted to it. If you can't leave it alone for 21 days, anything. Anything. That includes food. If you can't do a lot without it for a while, you're addicted to it. Not too many amens there. <laughs> we don't have to wonder anymore, is a baby in the womb a baby? We've got sonograms. We've got all kinds of ways to look in there. Those babies, we can see them smiling. We can see them sucking on their thumbs in their mother's womb. There's no doubt that they're children. Yet we slaughter 2,000 of them every day for convenience. A baby's not a choice. A baby's a child. We've got so many people that look down on other people because of the color of their skin. What if you get to heaven and God is the opposite color of you? Red and yellow, black and white, God has made us precious in his sight. I could go on, but I can feel the tension in the room. But over this past century, you know what God's been doing? He's given us more and more leaders in America who do not believe the Bible, who do not live for Jesus Christ. And whenever God says, that's enough, he removes good leadership. Number two, when God says, that's enough, he rebukes glaring wickedness. Look at verse 8. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his glorious presence. Oh, his glorious presence. The glory of God, may the glory of God fill the house of God at Bellevue Baptist Church. Amen. I'll tell you how we'll get every seat filled. Not with tricks, not with just ways of inviting people I'm not against any 
way of inviting people. And I want to tell you how this place could have every seat filled up. You let the glory of God fill the house of God and the people of God will come in mass. In mass. That's what we need. And then it's not a show. Then it's not. I'm not saying that what we do is a show. I'm just saying though, then it's all about him. We would get on our faces if we needed to and say, King of kings, Lord of lords. Isaiah boldly called out the leaders and the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They said the way they act, he said the way they acted and the way they talked didn't please God. Their actions and their words were against God. They had stumbled, they had fallen. He didn't say, oh, you're so good. Oh, you're so precious. Oh, you're just wonderful. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we are blessed in Christ, but sometimes we need to be reminded that apart from Christ, we are sinners who disobey God, who need to repent. That's where Isaiah is in chapter 3, so that's why you said, why are you preaching this day? Because it's the next thing to preach. I've already preached out of chapter 2. And notice the expression of their faces bears witness against them. And they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. They were bold and brash about their sinfulness. Their faces... You know, you can tell a lot about looking at somebody's face. Did you know that? They just look them in the eye. and You can a lot of times tell about what's going on. And they were so bold. They were so brazen. And he uses, he says, they display their sin like Sodom. What was the sin of Sodom? Homosexuality and lesbianism. I was just reading in Jude. It's only one chapter. That's the, another brother of the Lord besides James. Jude in verse 7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality. All sexual immorality is sexual immorality. But some of it is gross immorality and when went after strange flesh. That's homosexuality. That's how, how they described it. They are exhibited as an example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Like the people of ancient Jerusalem and Judah they were proud of their sin. They'd come out of the closet about it. Not just on their sexual sins, but any sin. They were saying, I'm not gonna, we're not going to live under the reins of God. We're not going to live under the reins of a Bible that was written. No, we're not going list, to listen to a prophet named Isaiah. No, we'll live like we want to live. And God said, that's enough. You've crossed a line. That's enough. And barely just for a moment, God 
commends the righteous. There's always a righteous remnant, is there not? Look at verse 10. So say to the righteous that it will go well with them for they will eat the fruit of their actions. They will eat the fruit of their actions. They will reap what they sow. Dr. R.G. Lee said, there's always a remnant. Whenever you see a sinful people, there's always a righteous remnant. And then, as only he could say with vivid words, they're like a gardenia in a garbage dump. But then in verse 11, he goes right back into his rebuke to the people of Jerusalem. He says, woe to the wicked. It will go badly with him for he deserves what he deserves will be done to him. Oh, my people. And when you see that word, oh, he's crying out. Isaiah is not standing up there beating up on people. Isaiah is lamenting as he speaks. Oh, my people. He's speaking for God. Their oppressors are children. Women rule over them. Oh, my people. Those who guide you, lead you astray. They confuse the direction of your past. Oh, oh, oh. I don't care who you are, what position you have at Bellevue, including me. You are not too important for God to rebuke if you live in sin. And God may be looking at some of you right now and saying, that's enough. Stop or else. Even David got too big in his mind for his own good. And in the, king, in the spring of the years when kings were supposed to go out and fight, he stayed home. He just decided to live a cush life, send the boys out to fight, let other people do his fighting while he sat around. And the Bible says he went out and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know what? When you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're going to do the wrong thing. He looked out, saw this woman bathing on a roof. Why in the world was she bathing on a roof? That's the only way they had to heat water back in that t those days like that. So all day long, it's hot in Israel. And so they'd have warm water at night. She went out there in a secluded place. But I just have to believe David knew exactly where she would be exactly at the time. And he looks out there and sees Bathsheba and he commands her. He sends one of his emissaries down. She comes up and they get together. She becomes pregnant with his child. He calls her husband in and says, now I want you to uh, uh, come in here and eat with me. He got him drunk. He sends him home, did it twice. And yet, because his men were out in the field, he would not lie with his wife. So finally, David said, listen, just, he talked to Joab, he said, his leader, he said, just, just take him out and let him go up to the front of the edge and then pull back from him. They'll let the enemy kill him. We won't have to kill him. It's exactly what happened. And when he died, David then took Bathsheba as his wife. And the Bible says what he did displeased the Lord. And then we read that God sent someone to rebuke him. 
named Nathan. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread, drink of his cup. That's a picture, by the way, of Bathsheba. And he in his and, and he in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. He was unwilling to take, the rich man was, from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David just interrupts. He's so mad at that guy. His anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely that man who has done that thing deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb foretold, fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. You've taken Bathsheba. You've killed her husband, Uriah the Hittite. God has given you wives, plural. He's given you sons, and if that hadn't been enough, he would have given you more. But you're going to be punished. The child that is in her womb is going to die, and your own children are going to run you out of office one of these days, at least for a while. Don't tell me God doesn't care about what we do. Don't tell me God's not looking at every individual's life in this room. He knows what's going on. And when he sees you living in sin, he says, stop. Stop. Oh, but you made me. No, I didn't make you that way. Stop. Don't blame it on me. Stop. Oh, I can't. Stop. If God says stop, you can stop. You need his help. The problem's not with God. The problem's with you. You don't want to stop. You say, preacher, that's pretty stout. It sure is. But so is sin. You ought to get to the point, like my son said, right from this pulpit Friday night, you know what you need to do with sin? Kill it. You know what you need to do with the copperhead? You don't need to take it in and say, oh, kids, play with the copperhead. Oh, come on, come on, sweet copperhead. Just rest here on my bosom. Oh, oh, come on, copperhead. Here's my bed. Come on, let's go to sleep. You say, you're crazy. Sin's a lot worse than a copperhead. It'll take you out for eternity. Yes, there's still sin. And yes, preachers need to preach against sin and for righteousness. Amen. Against sin for righteousness. Offer grace, but only if you repent, not cheap grace, that God will take you in your sin. God, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're standing in a pulpit you live in sin, God's saying, stop it or else, or else. Why? 
Romans 6, 23. Read it with me off the screen. For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, 4. Read that with me. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Here it is now. The soul who sins will die. Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. God hates sin. God hates sin. When he says that's enough, when he says that's all, I've had all I can stand, I can't stand no more, he rebukes glaring wickedness. There's one more thing. When God says that's enough, he removes good leadership, he rebukes glaring wickedness, and finally he reverses greedy unfairness. Now, some of y'all are not going to like what I'm about to say. You say, well, <laughs> we didn't like what you said a while ago. <laughs> I'm just preaching it right out of the book. God promised to turn the prosperity of Jerusalem into poverty. The Jews had abused the poor and neglected the needy. You hear what I just said? They had abused the poor and neglected the needy. You don't do that with God. God hated that they had abused the poor and neglected the needy. And God would reverse their greedy unfairness. Look at verse 13. We only have time to read it. The Lord arises to contend. I got news for you. When God rises up, something's about to happen. When Jesus rose up in that boat, something was about to happen. When God rises up, something's about to happen and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of the people. Notice he starts with the leaders. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor? What are you thinking? I put you in charge to help those people, not to benefit off of them and to do them wrong, declares the Lord God of hosts. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion. Now, ladies, I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm just reading the Bible. Here we go. Are proud and they walk with their heads held high, their seductive eyes. That means they're painted up like Jezebel. Seductive eyes. They go along with mincing steps, tingling the, and tingle the bangles on their feet. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs. The Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, bathtub rings, festal robes, <laughs> outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, and veils. Now will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction putrefaction, whatever. It stinks, all right? <laughs> Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of a well-set hairdo, a plucked-out scalp. 
That's what the Chaldeans did to the ladies. They pulled their hair out when they came against Jerusalem. Instead of fine clothes, a dawning of sackcloth. Make that look good. Branding instead of beauty. They were branded, literally branded with foreign marks. Your men will fall by the sword, your mighty ones in battle, and her gates will lament and mourn, and deserted she will sit on the ground. And then Isaiah chapter 4 verse 1 continues, for seven women will take hold of one man. So many men are going to be killed in battle, there won't be enough for anybody, everybody to have a husband in that day saying, we'll eat our own bread, we'll wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your, let marry us, take away our reproach. Why? Because they treated poor people wrong. Because they thought that everything in their paycheck was for them. Talked about the paycheck last week. God gets the first 10%. But I want to tell you something else. Beyond that, you ought to be looking around for somebody in need to give some of that stuff away instead of spending everything you make on yourself. You say, I don't make enough. If you got $5, you can give somebody $5. They'll be $5 better off. They need it more than you do. A lot of people need it more than you do. God, you can't treat poor people unfairly and God not punish you. Can't do it. Proverbs 14, 31, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. James, boy, James chapter five, come now you rich, weep and howl your miseries, for your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments have become moth-eaten, your gold, your silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you. You didn't pay them on time. Cry, and, that, and that cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You hadn't paid your workers. They depend on their paycheck. They don't have some nice savings account. No, they depend on every paycheck and you won't give it to them on time. Woe to you. Woe to you. You have lived in luxuriously live luxuriously on the earth. You've led a life of wanton pleasure. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not, cannot literally resist you. Jesus said, blessed are the poor of spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says the common people, the hoi polloi, the hoi polus in Greek, we call it the hoi polloi, the, the common man, heard Jesus gladly. The Bible says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is reading this from Isaiah in the, in the tabernacle, or in the uh, synagogue. He said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the what? Say it out loud. The poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year. The year of Jubilee is here. Jesus said, I'm here. So if you're poor, if you're lame, if you're sick, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what the church does. We act like Jesus. 
And we take care of the poor. We take care of the needy. We take care of the disenfranchised. We don't just minister to the one that gives the most money to the church. We don't put him in a special seat. He can sit wherever he wants to, but if there's only one seat in the back, there he goes. If you want a better seat, get here earlier. <laughs> it's hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said in Luke 18, 24. It's not impossible. Right after that, he says, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. But money just does something to your heart sometimes, doesn't it? And it distracts you away from living Christ-like lives. And whenever God says enough, he reverses greedy unfairness. He starts messing with people's money. Are you more concerned about the stock market going down right now than you are about lost people being saved today? I wonder if God is at the end of the line with America. Newsflash, God is not an American. Newsflash, God doesn't need America. Newsflash, America needs God. God is a gracious God. He offers you the freedom to repent. And repent means to admit it, your sin, but then to quit it. It doesn't just mean that you're a little sorry about it, no. It means, God, this is sin. According to your word, this is sin, and I admit it, forgive me, I'm sorry, and I repent, help me now to quit it. If you're living in adultery, quit it. If you're not being kind to poor people, stop it. If you're not helping poor people, start helping poor people. If you're telling lies, stop it. If you're living in anger, cut it out. If you're a racist, stop it. If you're committing any sexual sin, stop it. And don't expect God to turn to you and give you a bye. God doesn't change. He's immutable. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you don't, God is going to say, that's enough. God help us 
as a nation, as a people, as individuals, as families, to listen to the warnings of God. Let's pray. Father, you are long-suffering, patient, gracious, kind, and forgiving, but you're also holy, righteous, and jealous for your children's love. And if we live in sin, there will come a time when you finally say, that's enough. Don't let us push you to the limit. Don't let us push your grace to the limit. Help us to repent of our sin today. In Jesus' name, and if that's your prayer, say amen.